Decca Aiden, Class of 2018, is all about making an impact. Working in the fields of international development, she's applied her research skills, degrees in political science and psychology, and lived experience towards improving the world. In this conversation, Decca reflects on her experiences working at both macro and micro institutions, from the World Bank to an entrepreneurial incubator in Somaliland, and the unique challenges and opportunities innate to both. A 2022 Obama scholar, she's now wrapping up her master's degree program at the University of Chicago's Harris School of Public Policy. Her lived experience, professional background in the world of international development, and ongoing academic journey has lent her a unique perspective on how the field can make positive change and highlights the ways that the field itself must change in order to be truly responsive to community needs. From the CLS, I'm Jane Hoffman. And I'm Nicholas Lampieri. Stay with us. I am from East Africa, Somaliland, and after graduating from Grinnell College with a bachelor's in psychology and political science, I always love that I would always going to be in the field of international development. Because coming from a post-conflict country, I was very familiar within the field, and I thought it would be a way of giving back to my community. And after I graduated from college, I worked at the World Bank, and I was doing macro-level development work. And then during the pandemic, I moved back to Somaliland to be able to do some sort of a micro-level development work. And then now I decided to pursue my graduate school at the University of Chicago. So as of now, I am a student. Great. Thank you for that. But now, can you tell us a little bit about your time at Grinnell? Well, first, I have to talk about why I chose Grinnell. I went to a high school in the East Coast, and everybody around me was applying to schools in the East Coast because it's very close, it's familiar. And I remember a college counselor, who was not even my college counselor, told me, hey, I think you should consider this place called Grinnell College. And I said, where is that? And he was like, it's in Iowa. And I remember thinking, like, I don't even know where Iowa is at. So in a way, I discovered Grinnell College randomly. So I came in with no set of expectations, no perceived notion of what I was supposed to look like because I really had no clue, especially as an international student. And when I arrived, I really, really, what stood out to me as a prospective student and also as a student myself back then, the community, how close the community was and how the faculty, the staff really cared about the experience of the student. And I wasn't just a data. And of course, the friends that I made, and as you can tell, like there's nothing going on outside of Grinnell College. So you know, it pushes you to build meaningful relationships to understand where your friends come from. What countries do they come from? What is their culture? And there's that concept of, you know, doing events together, cooking together. And I think it really made me leave college with, with a family, not just friends. Continuing on the thread of your time after Grinnell, I'd be curious to learn more about what your life and outlook on your professional life and your future plans looked like immediately after graduating. I am not going to lie. I think that process is always stressful. And I think for so long from your kindergarten throughout college, your life is kind of set up for you. Like it is laid down for you. You know the classes to take. You have an advisor. You have a major. And everything's so structured. So in a way, I remember when I was a senior at Grinnell, There was this anxiety of, have I made the wrong decision? Maybe I should have went to law school. Maybe I should have done this. Maybe I should have pursued medical school. And that level of just uncertainty, in a way, can be very exhausting process. And also, you're taking a step to the what I consider the real world. And I think it's really important to say that, although people would argue and say colleges are part of the real world, I think colleges are really a bubble of its own. First of all, I have to kind of describe myself like what type of a student I was. I was a curious student that tried every yeah, yeah. experience. 
I went and did an internship at a law firm, did not like it. And I interned at a hospital, did not like it. And in a way, I was kind of just checking these boxes of like, I kind of know what I don't want, but I really had no clue what I want. So in a way, the World Bank experience was something that I was not planning. It kind of landed on me as well, because also in a way, life comes, you know, through random chances. So when I was a junior at Grinnell, I was invited to give a talk at the World Bank's Human Development Forum and talk about education for East Africa and how education for development should be a priority and how investing in individuals, um, since I went to an American high school back home, can really change the trajectory of the community and so forth. So when I was like, giving my talk and talking about how I care about my community and how I want to give back, one of the managers at the World Bank after my speech came up to me and she said, oh, she loved the talk and she would love to stay in touch. And she gave me her card. And then I remember when I was doing the Rosenfeld trip, then you get to come to DC, Chicago, whatever the location is, and you connect with alumni who are in that region. And then you explore different careers within the field of international affairs, human rights. And I was at that trip and I remember I had this card of this lady and, you know, I'm closing to senior year. I don't even know what I want, but I kind of know what I don't, what I do not want. And I emailed her and I said, hey, I would love to grab coffee or dinner and discuss my future career path. And as we're connecting, I didn't ask for a job. And I think that's really important for people to know, like it's important to build network first and connection first and be authentic too. I said, I told her about my situation and I said, I'm super unclear about my path, but I care about impact and I care about development. In the end, she said, I would love to stay in touch in the future as well. And it was this connections where you get to know the person at a deeper level. And that person is no longer just a stranger, they're a friend. It's someone that you can email if there's ever an opportunity that comes up. So when I graduated from college, and of course I'm applying to these places in you know, a formal way 10 days before my graduation, I emailed her and I said, hey, I'm graduating. Here's my resume. Here are the two degrees that I've completed at Grinnell College. And I'm really interested in development related work within the fields of psychology. And she said, well, I would love to pass down your resume to a bunch of World Bank colleagues and whatever comes, comes. And definitely somebody reached out and they were looking for a psychologist to join their team and this lady was an economist and she was doing this really fascinating project to test the impact of mental health crisis in entrepreneurs who live in fragile countries and how that impacts their business performance. And I was helping her develop indicators to measure the psychology impact and also the business performance as well when they do receive mental health support through a cognitive behavioral therapy. That was my first foot into the World Bank. And I think it's really important to highlight how networks important, connections are important and being authentic to who you are and what your values are and absolutely these opportunities will come find you because there are plenty of different opportunities across the world that are that do care about the issues that you care about that really are studying the same things that you want to study and it's just a matter of getting yourself out there and putting yourself out there and see what comes through so you spoke a little bit in context of real bank you know you're working at the macro level and When you visited Grinnell most recently, you talked about your experience seeking to make change both at the macro and at the micro level and working with these institutions of different sizes. I'd be really curious to learn more about, I suppose, your experience working at the macro level. And then I know you've also, after that, you did transition towards other opportunities. So I'd be curious just to hear your reflections on the opportunities for impact at both of those levels, how you've been drawn to those different opportunities at different times throughout your career. Yeah, that's a really great question. And I think, let me start with 
authenticity and being authentic to who you are. Because I remember when I got that job and everybody was thinking, oh, you made it. You know, you just have to stay in the organization and climb the ladder of the World Bank as a corporation, which is also really fascinating because all of my colleagues, I was the youngest in my team and the only black analyst within my, even within my floor and department too. And in a way, there was this sense of accomplishment that the external world was giving me. But a part of me was I never cared for the environment and what the environment thinks of me. I never cared for what the community's standard of success looked like. And I think that is also my sense of just having this confidence at a younger age to say, you know what, I want to explore what works for me and what makes me happy. And whenever I would complain to my Grinnellian friends about the workload and (laughs) the work that I'm doing, everybody would say, but they need you. I think it's really important for people who care to be in such, you know, like they were trying to talk me out of it in a way. But I told them, like, I actually don't see myself here in the long run. And they would say, but like, you know, that's the importance of having Grinnellians in these places and so forth. And after that, I really kind of sat down with myself and I listed what is it about this place that I like and what is it that I dislike. And when I listed down all the different factors that really were important to me, that I was not getting in from this organization, that it was the right decision for me to move on to the next thing and not seek another opportunity within the bank. And I'll list down some of the factors that were really important for me to leave was that 1A, when you're in the headquarters, you are operationalizing development projects. Operationalizing means is that your manager or your practice manager or director has this budget for this project for this specific region. And then you as a team, as a part of a team, have to come up with ways to implement it, you know? And in a way, I looked at it as like the money kind of decides where to invest. And then you have deadlines. Deadlines meaning the project that I was involved on at the beginning was a $30 million project to create jobs in Central Asia. And it has to end within five years. So within those five years, you have to come up with indicators to measure the success of the project, where to invest in it. And then I remember when we come up with the preliminary analysis of what the project is supposed to look like, we visited the country. So I've lived in Tajikistan for almost a month. And that experience changed me how the reality is different than what we had in theory at the World Bank in D.C. and what we had in in this abstract level of thinking about the region and what would work. Because one thing you could do it in terms of development is you kind of look at what other projects work in other regions and how do we scale it? You know, that question of scalability. Yeah, and then yeah. I realized Tajikistan is Tajikistan of its own. It's unique. It has this own chill political dynamics. It has its own culture that is so unique. And in a way, when I connected with the local community and the locals themselves, and I was specifically, the good thing is I was also collecting data. So I have to talk to a bunch of business owners and I would like interact with them. And I tell them every time the interview for the data collection would end, I would always ask this question. What do you think of the project? Do you think it would work? Because I wanted to understand their you know, opinion of us. And usually what I also realized is that's not an experience, a World Bank experience. Usually you come and you do your work and you move on. And I'm a people person. I love connecting with people and I love understanding social issues, which also maybe one of those Grinnellian things for sure. And then one of the guys told me, oh, it's not going to work out. And I said, how? And he explained to me how this project would not benefit the region, but it would benefit neighboring countries and so forth. And he really had, especially as someone who had access to the data, what he was telling was the truth. And I emailed my team and I said, hey, guys, we should definitely reconsider the project. And I'm straight out of college, not understanding office politics, not understanding the hierarchy within a team. I thought it was just like a class discussion where, you know, you come in as a team and you email your team. You say, you know what? I have a different idea of how to do with this, uh, how to do this project differently according to what the locals are telling us. And in a way, everybody was kind of looking at me like, huh? And in a way, it didn't leave, that experience never left my mind. And when I came back to DC, 
I was like, I need to be in a space where the local faces are part of the design, where the local faces are really are the ones who are the pioneers within the development sector and not just us. And I, especially me, I had no connection to Central Asia. I don't speak the language. I'm not attached to that community. It felt off and wrong and felt kind of like an outsider telling people how to live their lives and telling them what should work based on the theories we've developed in a way that is outside of the context of the region. And and of course, the work-life balance was something that I really considered too, because I, I think it's important to have a quality life first and foremost. Those two factors combined was enough for me to pursue micro-level development work, which is that I would go back home. And I was working with a small enterprise social incubator. I was the manager. And that comes with its own set of issues. And I think it's important that whatever you end up doing in life, there's always going to be the pros and cons. You know, this one ideal way of doing development. Every project, every design have its own flaws. And one thing that I did miss when I was back home was the research component when I was doing it at the World Bank, which in a way kind of brought me to University of Chicago, which is, the, in my opinion, the land of the most famous economists. And for me, the future, that comes the question of now that you have experience for both the micro and the macro level, which is also, they're very much intertwined too, because what happens in my own country is determined by other donors. Now I was on the receiving end of these funds, you know, back out back in the day, I was kind of like, the people who are coming in with the funds, right? And when you're on the receiving end of these funds, is that you're also limited to what are the requirements of the proposal? What are, you know, how much money you're going to get and how you're supposed to spend it? You don't, we don't, we weren't deciding that. We were just applying to proposals that were already set and designed by someone outside of the country. And in a way, I realized, wow, the field really has a lot of gaps and a lot of holes. And I'm thinking of definitely in the long run pursuing my PhD. And being a practitioner and also a researcher to be able to kind of change the way we think in theory and change the way we think at a at a research level, because the research is what really determines the way we think about the world and the way we think of these communities as someone that needs saving, as someone that has, you know, I usually tell my friends here, you don't need to do a PhD to understand, to understand poverty, you just have to live in one, you know, and we have this concept of bringing these experts per se in code to that, they know how to do it differently and they know how to remove these people from poverty. But then I'm like, no, the community or no way more than us. And in a way it's true. You don't need a PhD to understand poverty. You just have to live in one. And even if you're not part of that community, just go in with a humble approach of learning first and foremost, and also empowering them to be part of the table and not some sort of a... I want to jump back in time a little bit and focus on sort of your transition from from the bank to Somaliland back home. Um, what were the big differences you noticed um, working uh, on the sort of micro level in Somaliland as opposed to the bank? And then sort of what was it like on a, on a more personal level? I think the transition was... It was hard. I'm not going to lie. I think it was really hard because you're coming from a place of context of professionalism, or what professionalism is supposed to look like. And then you go into a completely different culture of what professionalism is. And I've been living in America since I was 16 years old in high school. So in a way, I am Somali, born and raised from Somaliland. But yet, in a way, I assimilated to the American culture, too. And going home comes with this own reverse culture. So I remember my first few weeks and there's the gender dynamic too, where lots of my staff members were uncomfortable for a young woman way younger than them to be their boss, you know? And as, as someone who is not a fan of titles, I, I'm very much about, I wanna get the project done and move on, go home, you know? Um, it, ma- it made me realize how um, the work dynamic is different. And I think when I was in America, the work dynamic, or the things that I was mindful of was my color or like being black woman, a black woman in corporate America was such, was a thing 
of which is all and that I have to always be mindful of. But then when I went back home, oh, everybody's black. I don't have to think about that. So I have to like kind of reteach myself again of how to be mindful of what is important here. And why is this person acting differently? Is it because I'm a woman or is it because I'm I'm black and then I realized, oh wait, it's not even because I'm black. It has to be because I'm, I am a woman. And in a way that makes these transitions really hard. Um, at the same time, I was really patient about it. I never looked at it as a challenging experience that I have to push back against it. After kind of adjusting to what was the norm back home, it also taught me the individual humanistic level of work, right? Um, with whatever team that you're in, if you're working with a men or women or people who are younger than you, then comes the question of what kind of an energy that I'm bringing in as a manager, what is important to my team and what should they be mindful of? And I think what I started doing is making sure everybody's doing their independent work and not interfering with their day-to-day micromanaging. I did not micromanage anyone and I kind of gave them an opportunity to become their own managers Uh of of their own projects and their own departments, Uh, which is also something that I learned it from my experience where there were oftentimes there were situations where my opinion didn't matter at all because I don't have that degree or I don't have that PhD. So when I'm on the receiving end of being the minority, it kind of teaches you how to be humanistic in your own work as well. And I think in itself, it also showed one of my values, which is that of community is important to me and cooperation is important to me. I never enter a space and think of it as I am the manager or I'm their leader or anything like that. I think it's important that everybody's piece of work is highlighted and is celebrated. It seems like you have a really strong sense of personal mission. And I would just be curious as to how you were able to identify your mission over time. And then what advice you might have for others who are seeking to clarify their own senses of purpose. And can I sort of tack on something yeah, to that please. in that like, Hindsight's twenty twenty, obviously, and so you have been able to reflect on all of these steps and what all of this has meant. But another thing that struck me about all of your answers is how much reflection goes into mm-hmm. everything and how deeply you think about all of these things. And in that same advice component, what advice would you give to somebody who, in order to think about making sure that you are continually evaluating and reflecting on who you are in your workplace environment? Because it's a skill and it's also a challenge. Mm-hmm. Often what I see yeah, is yeah. that um, people would come to me and say, like, you're so mission driven. Like, it's so clear. How do I make sure that or how do I become mindful of mine? And I always tell people, like, you already have it in you. It's, it's just the external world or the voice of the dominant culture is louder. And I think it's really important for people to sit with themselves and say, what is it that made me come to this part of the world to begin with? And I think it's really important that when your time comes, and I don't hate to be morbid this way, when your time comes, do you have an answer for yourself, a really clear answer for yourself that you really lived a good life? Not a life where you were just checking boxes. Now I have that house. Now I have that car. Now I have that degree. No. Like when you really come to your final stages, you really have a good answer for yourself that you lived a really good life, a life that was worth living. And based on the answer my mother told me was that a life worth living is a life you've lived for others, for your family, for your community. I think a peace of mind really makes your life here worth living. I think I'm getting way too philosophical here, but I hope that really gives someone who's thinking about their career a way to reflect and say, what would give me a peace of mind and what would make my life here worth living? And the answer is always the same across everybody that I've connected with. My role models, it was always about community and giving back. No, that's an absolutely fantastic answer. We welcome philosophizing here. Get out <laughs> we like to be interdisciplinary for sure. I'm sort of curious how you balance and reconcile all of that with 
the sort of basic need to make money and the need to, you know, let's say you've got a student loan to pay off or you've got a family member to take care of and it means you have to live at home. And sort of, I think, I don't think they're mutually exclusive, but I'm curious, since you are an expert on all of these things, um, you know, how you balance, you know, forging an impact-driven career and making sure the work you're doing is really meaningful with sometimes the the curveballs life throws you and the things that you just can't avoid. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think I don't want to, you're right. I, I'm glad you asked that question because I don't want to glamorize the impact-driven world. It's not easy, you know, yeah, yeah. and it's a process of its own that you have to reconcile as well, as you said. For me, well, I have to talk about my faith. I'm a practicing Muslim woman, and I think faith is really important to me because it's kind of what gives me the trust in the process and also the trust that everything will work out. There were definitely instances of my life where I have to think about finances as well, where I have to think about family emergencies and crisis. And for example, when, for example, when my mother was really sick, I have to you know, leave work. And it was considered to be at the peak of my work where within the bank, like it was a way to kind of like, you know, jump into different projects as well. And in that moment, if I were to be a rational thinker, I would have stayed. I would have stayed working and taking care of the bills and so forth. And then I realized you can't do life on your own for me. I don't want to like make people to think of God all the time. But for me, I realized that I cannot do life on my own because it's an exhausting process and you have to kind of like weigh the cost and the benefits all the time. And that in itself is, you don't know what the future holds. You know, maybe you've calculated that if I take this opportunity, I may have to come up with a, a bunch of loans, which is the reality for a lot of people. But who knows, maybe that year, there was an opportunity for a scholarship to apply for. And I think it's important to highlight that. So for me, what it held me and grounded me was my faith and trusting God that things will work out. And I hate to glamorize it this way, but I'm a firm believer that if you really have a passion and you go for it, money will follow. Things will fall into a place because I think there is something about passion that when people see which really drives you, they would connect you to the right people who are thinking about the same things that you're thinking about. And there have been so many instances of my life where just having a conversation like we we're having right now and talking about specific costs and someone says, you know what? I think we should work together on this. Just to give you an example, not in monetary way. Um, last year, I was talking to one of my professors about the field of development, the gaps, and, you know, my experiences. And now we both are, we just finished our last draft of co-authoring a book chapter. So I was like, I don't know what God you believe in or the universe, but things have aligned. And I just found this opportunity for, for me to publish this chapter, which is the topic you were, when you were talking about. And she was like, let's work together because I think you really have interesting ideas. And that's the thing is, if you're focused on the status component, which is that, let me work with a professor because I really want to publish, then it's hard because you're not really chasing the things you're supposed to chase. But if your approach is, I care about, for example, health policy, and I care about health inequity. And if you go to these office hours and you bring in how these issues are important to you and how you're thinking differently, I promise you somebody will say, you know what, I like what you're saying, let's work together. And I think that attitude is important because you're bringing your values and the moment you are in alignment with someone else's opportunity, that it becomes easier as opposed to coming in and saying, I care about checking this box. With passion, it's easy to connect with people. It makes you connect with opportunities and you leave a memory in that person's mind. And that is what I mean by money will follow, meaning prestige will follow in the end. Because in a way, you are attracting opportunities easier simply because you come from a place of value. 
as opposed to chasing prestige and money first, which is, I think, harder. We've touched on this a little bit, but finally, I'd love to talk about specifically the role that your postgraduate education is playing in life right now. You mentioned that you're in your final semester in Chicago, and so I would be curious. Yay. Yes, I know. Congratulations. It's so exciting. <laughs> I would be so curious to learn about how your prior professional experiences ended up informing your current education, and then how you hope that your graduate education and then other degrees that might follow will influence your work going forward. Absolutely. It definitely impacted me. I remember when I graduated from Grinnell, a majority of my friends actually went straight to graduate school. And they told me, like, you should do it. It's the easy path. Just keep staying the path of being a student and it's safety and security. And I literally told them, I don't know what I want out of life. What makes you think I'm going to pick a program? So in a way, I was really mindful of getting myself some answers before I even do graduate school. So in a way, the program that I chose was because of my experience, my career experience. I chose this program because some of the professors that I was interested in working with are people that I came across their work when I was working at the World Bank. When I was back, the program was kind of my next best step that would also make me understand what are the top thinkers of my field thinking about development right now. And because of that, I have that career experience within the field of development. It makes it more real. And I think it's easy to think in abstract level thinking at graduate school level. But for me, the other, the other reason besides just contributing, besides learning from the professors themselves and how they're thinking, and also contributing to my lived experiences within the field, it was also really important to me, which is the reality of prestige. This part, I won't deny it. I've realized it doesn't matter wherever I go in America, people would definitely care about what background do I have. And that is the reality of being a Black woman in America. And the reason why I went into the PhD, which is something that I've been deeply thinking about lately, was that everybody would be like, well, you can still practice right now and still publish like what you're doing right now. And the reality is it doesn't matter to a lot of people. It does not matter. So in a way, I look at this educational opportunity, even with the prestige that comes with it, as a way of getting more access to certain doors, as a way of gaining more access to certain environments that I would not get it as a master's Black woman. At the same time, it's an opportunity to test the things that I think might work, right? To tell you a little bit about the book chapter and uh, the work that I did this past summer was I was conducting a qualitative research where I was examining the researchers themselves. And it was my favorite research experience because I got to design it. But the reality of the research world work is that you need evidence. And I think this is also my way of confirming to the dominant culture too and accepting to what is considered prestigious in that level that would give me accessibility, right? I'm all for passion and impact, but I'm also realistic. So down the line, hopefully my research experience would be a combination of the lived experiences, that inner experience that a lot of the researchers who live outside of my country have no experience of. Also, it's going to be an experience of working in macro-level organizations. And I think that rich experience would definitely define my research questions because the majority of the students who are now doing PhD in my field are straight from undergrad. That definitely impacts you to a degree where your research question is defined by what other professors are saying, as opposed to you coming in and like, you know what, I have a, I've not tested this because I had this experience and I really want to see if the data is consistent to what I've went through. That is so exciting. I'm so excited to follow your work and all that's sure to come next. That's the perfect place to end looking forward. But I will ask one more thing, which is just, is there anything we haven't talked about that you would like to talk about? I want to leave one last message. Please. For women, for women of color, for women of color who really want to make an impact, but there's also these competing factors to consider is that 
have faith, everything will work out. And especially if you care for the community and you want to live for your community, the world will also support you. Don't forget that. And I'm very fortunate. I'm lucky to have had many people across my path on all the different places that I've been to, but I've had people who championed for me that I didn't know was even possible. Yes. So I'm a fan believer in you give what you get. And if you're a positive human being who cares, the world will also nurture you in ways you don't even expect. So definitely keep going. And we definitely need people of impact in, our, in all across different fields across the world. Clarifying your mission isn't easy, but leading with your passions and values can serve you well in driving whatever impact you seek to make on the world. This episode was produced by Jane Hoffman with help from Nicholas Lampietti. Thanks for joining us today. You can find our episodes on career.grinnell.edu or wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Instagram and on Facebook at Going Forth Podcast to find out when new episodes are released.